I'm sitting outside. My my daughter Catherine and her friend Bree are watching The Bachelorette. Um, oh God! And I I I, <laughs> I I I I don't want to say this too loud, but I don't know of a bigger waste of time. But you know, to each his own, I guess. But I'm, I'm like, he didn't get a rose. Oh my God! I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm going outside. Like I knew I liked you. <laughs> we we just lost half of the audience, but you know what? Uh, that, that, that's okay. That, that's to okay. each his own. I'm, you know, I'm sure she's a very nice woman, and the guys are cool. But um, sure, still seems kind of dumb. This is the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Want to save 10% on your next DukeTigBrand.com order? Use the promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. D-U-K-T-I-G-BRAND.com. If you've listened to the show before, you know how much I love DukeTigBrand. I use their Excel notebook. I use their waterproof notebook and absolutely swear by their products. Go to DukeTigBrand.com right now. D-U-K-T-I-G brand dot com and save 10% at checkout on your next order from apparel to logos to coaching notebooks duke tig brand has got you hooked up duketigbrand.com promo code broadwater19 at checkout in season 2 episode 24 of the on the touchline podcast i talked to michael mismer and he is the head girls coach at Northampton High School in Eastern Pennsylvania. Before I tell you a little bit about Michael and his backstory, we just went over 15,000 listens of the show since starting in December of 2018. If you're a regular to the show or if you're new, and this is your first time listening to this podcast, go back and listen to some of the archived episodes I've included a link in the show notes of how to get to the website that houses all archived episodes for the On the Touchline podcast. So go back and listen to some of the really interesting stories and guests that have been part of 50 50 plus episodes of this podcast. You can reach out to me anytime on social media, active on Twitter and Instagram, and my handle is at soccercoachjb. And of course, if you like what you hear in this podcast, please go to Apple Podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. That helps more and more people learn about what we're trying to do with On the Touchline. And of course, word of mouth, players, coaches, people in the soccer community, that matters as well. So be sure to recommend this podcast to them. Michael Mismer has a really interesting backstory in how he got into coaching soccer. He's a newly retired state corrections officer here in the state of Pennsylvania. He's also a former mixed martial arts MMA slash submission grappling fighter. So I can say uh, with 100% certainty, the first person on our show that has had that background. He also started the women's soccer program at Penn State Lehigh Valley one of the Penn State campuses here uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. 
He has extensive experience at the club level as well as the high school level and was recently named the head girls coach at Northampton High School. I hope you enjoy season two, episode 24, and my guest, Michael Mismer. Well, uh, Mike, thank you for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And, um, you know, it's uh, part of our conversation started with, I think, uh, a while back of, uh, you know, us PA guys have to stick together. So I think you're probably number four or five of PA coaches uh, that I've had on, some that have grown up here, then others that have uh, sort of uh, ended up here. Um and you're on the other side of the state, the eastern part of the state. And I think it's important for um, the listeners to know a little bit about you and your backstory of uh, how your footballing or soccer journey began and, and how you got to where you are now. Okay. Um, it's really zigzagged and sideways and, and not normal. Um, I, in high school, we didn't have soccer, didn't have an intramural team, um, you know, we were told when we were little kids it was going to take over the world, and we all laughed at it. And uh, I got a high school, was into martial arts quite a bit, went to work for the State Department of Corrections, um, did all of that. And I'm kind of the reason I'm kind of saying this is because it was a stand-up martial art. Um, and I'm so old that when the UFC came out, we saw Hoist Gracie win his second one on VHS tapes. And just by dumb luck, found a place in Philadelphia that taught Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it turned out that the guy who ran it, his wife, had introduced Hoist to his wife. And immediately realized what we had was great, but we couldn't do what they did. And we down there, and I fell in love with that. Um, became very competitive, very good at it. Was ranked 7th in the world at light heavyweight at one point in submission grappling. Wow. Um, got, got too old. And around that time... My wife had played soccer for Pitt Johnstown out near you. And mm -hmm. uh, my son was playing and my daughter played. They said, we need a coach. My fighting career had literally just ended. And I said, I don't, I don't really know anything about soccer. I'm not sure I'm the guy. And I'm super competitive and I can't do anything anymore. Uh, and they said, no, 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 just come out. So I kind of trained my kids like fighters, which was kind of funny. And having absolutely no real idea that every, you know, all the things that people talk about, I looked at it from, okay, how do I get from point A to point B? How do I put the ball in the back of the net one more team than the other goal? Mm -hmm. And did a lot of things that were wrong, but did a lot of things that were right. I always say I think I invented pressing. It happened to already exist, but I didn't know that. I was like, hey, why don't we try to get the ball up there by their goal? I'm a genius, right? Um, so I, I, I think those kids all did well. They're all graduating or in college now. And the coach from Whitehall, we had a very good Whitehall team. We went to a state final. He called me up and said, hey, I have a middle school team that I need, and I need an assistant. And I went to him and thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix things up up there, even though they're a good team. And he was from Trinidad. He's an amazing man. I still talk to him today. Um, and within about a day, realized I knew absolutely nothing about this game. And I kind of just said to him, I want to be your apprentice. I, I, I completely love this game. To me, it seems like an exercise in math. I think my Department of Corrections skills in when things go wrong and they can be really horrible and lives are on the line, things slow down for me and I'm able to kind of 
use what I have and I don't have the same fight or flight reflex. I said, that happens to me when I'm watching a game. I'm able to figure things out. Um, I need to learn the game the way you know it. Um, And he just looked at me and it's like, nobody ever says that. So we became great friends. I just picked his brain every chance I could get. Um, And and that was it. Kind of fell in love with it. Years go by. I've coached high school, um, started the Penn State Lehigh Valley team, and have just now, uh, this is my first season with Northampton, which is literally across the river, the Concrete Kids. Uh, So we're, we're very excited. We just started summer league. We've got our first season coming up in fall. And uh, I think I, I take that level of competition um, and kind of bring that to the game. And much like in my fighting career, we were very good at stand-up. We didn't say, oh, ground fighting's stupid. We said, oh, that's better than what we have. Let's go learn it. And I've been like that. I think you're like that. There's so many of us that are like that. When we see someone that's doing something that makes sense, we don't say, oh, no, no, my way's better. I say, hey, can you talk to me about that? Like, what, can you tell me about the efficacies? What's... How, what does that do for you? And then I, I pull that into what I do. And, and I think that's kind of the way human beings learn and get better. Absolutely love that, Mike. That uh, I mean, there's so many people in our game, um, not just here in the States, but globally, that I honestly, I mean, other than maybe a handful of coaches that are um, probably more in it for themselves. And, uh, you know, we've all encountered those folks, unfortunately. But more often than not, I mean, I'm saying probably as high as 90% of the time for me, fellow coaches are willing to pay it forward. And I love what you said there about finding, you know, a person to learn from, right? That, uh, sure. and, and I find myself that on that sort of quest, uh, you know, on a weekly basis or a daily basis. And I love hearing things that I may not agree with, you know, in the game. I love hearing things that I do agree with. I love hearing, have you ever thought about this? Or, um, you know, if you were to do that again, how could you do it better? And tell me about that sort of mentorship piece um, with the the person you named from from Trinidad of, you know, how did that work? And and just what advice were they able to sort of impart on you uh, as a a young coach at the time? For me, and again, we had a fantastic team. We went to a state final, which doesn't often happen around this area. Uh, And his name was George Romano. He's back in Trinidad now working with uh, teams there. Um, And for me, he was great at just explaining things I had never thought of. So I loved, I had super athletic little guys, and they could just run at you, take the ball, um, clear up passing lanes, midfield would move, everything that we like. And he said, hey, that's really great but what about the space you're leaving behind? Oh, I don't care about that. Why don't you care about that? Because it's super dangerous. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. And he started to make me think, well, if we do this, you give up that. If you get, do this, we give up that. And then he talked about, well, if we do midfield pressure and we do a medium press, then we're not giving the same thing. And he would give you analogies. Like, think of it like, you know, the, the way you're going to come at the field, you're going to give up one part of it where, based on the players that you have and their strengths, is that the least risk to do? Uh, and sometimes that's not always in, you know, where you think it's going to be. Sometimes you just have some stellar players and, you know, at the high school level and, and, you know, at college, unless you're division one, you could also have some girls that are not, not, they're not all amazing. They're not all Tobin Heath. So I think being able to tactically look at what you're doing and then mold that to kind of the principles of play and your game model. And, and I think too many times coaches say, well, I, I only play a 4-3-3, or I play a possession-based style, uh, or I, you know, that guy only plays direct. Um, 
for me, none of that makes sense. For me, it's what do your what are your players best suited for? You as the coach should figure that out and then implement a model that's going to get the best out of them. I like the uh, the adaptability there as a coach, and I think uh, just a very underrated and underappreciated skill uh, for any football or soccer coach of being able to pivot, uh, you know, when needed. And I was telling someone today, actually, that, yes, I prefer possession-based soccer. Uh, possession with purpose is uh, is kind of how I refer to it. But if it's on and there's an opportunity to play direct, I want my players to be able to recognize that. And it's my job as the coach to teach them to recognize those situations and to not just say, well, we're only a possession-based team. That's all we're going to do. Um you know, and to be adaptable. And I think that's a, a really just undervalued and underappreciated skill, um, not only as a coach, but but as a player. Um, tell me a little bit about your coaching philosophy. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit there. But, um, you know, if I were to show up at a, a training session or uh, the, the work you're doing now with your team, you know, what would it look like? Or what are you trying to achieve, um, you know, in that session? For me, I try to have sessions that have a theme based on where, where we are. And sometimes that's making our strengths better. Sometimes it's filling those holes where we have weaknesses. As, as we get closer to a, a, an actual season, I'm probably basing things more on opponents that we may see. Um, but, you know, for me, I know listening to as many podcasts as I did when I was, I've worked, I, I retired in December from the State Department of Corrections. So the only bad thing about that is that I don't drive an hour and a half each way to work, so I don't listen to near as many podcasts as I used to. Um, but, you know, with the unopposed and opposed training, um, I prefer pressure in almost everything I do, but I know there are people that say, oh, my God, you're wasting your time with pattern play or shadow play. And I, I would agree with that if you had a very limited amount of time, but it kind of falls back to what I did the first half of my life in martial arts is, we did stand up. All you need is stand up. If I can punch you in the head, I'm going to win. And now all of a sudden there's this guy that says, yeah, come try to punch me in the head and I'm going to take you down and break your arm. Oh boy, that's great. So then everybody said, well, this is what we need. And then the UFCs got bigger and guys came in and said, yeah, but I have a really good kick. So while you try to break my arm, I'm going to kick you in the head. Oh, well, we're back to stand up again. It's such, there's so much with the ego of people that they don't realize, well, maybe you need both. Maybe you need to stand up and ground fighting. And I feel the same way in, in football. We need possession-based, but we need to know when to go direct. As you said, we need opposition in most of our training. But there are certainly times, I did it today with my Northampton girls, where we're walking through things and I'm setting out cones and there's no opposition. I want them to understand the movement and the way I want their body facing and the, for them to see the options that they need. You know, this idea that let the game be the teacher is great. You know, when, and I don't, I don't know anything about the medical field, but I'm assuming when you're a heart surgeon, they don't say, hey, go operate on a couple of hearts and you're going to start to figure it out. No, those guys are dead. So, like, there's a lot of training and then you finally operate on the heart. Um, I think we need to look at football the same way. I think we have to take a, a much bigger holistic approach. Certainly, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I think with this team, uh, I think they're incredibly undervalued. I think there's so much talent there. So this is the first team for me where I feel I can actually implement some kind of theories and, 
and things that I've wanted to, and I actually have the players that are then capable on the execution side of executing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, you know, three, four months from now, we'll have another one. I'll let you know how we do, but I'm yeah. pretty high on them. I think they're going to do great. That's awesome. No, I, I would love to hear uh, sort of the follow-up story and, you know, kind of how things uh, shake out after the season. Uh, no, I think that would be great. It, it made me think of when you were talking there, Mike, about, <clears throat> so the, the high school that I went to um, had a, a fairly legendary uh, boys basketball coach. And he ended up winning a, a state championship here in Pennsylvania, Class A, um, you know, smallest division. Uh, it was in like the, the late 70s. Um, and, you know, at the time, what he was doing was sort of considered, you know, revolutionary, right? They're running a, a motion offense in, uh, on a basketball court and were able to, and granted, they had a, a fairly talented team. Um, you know, it was sort of the, the folklore of that happened when I went to high school there. Um, but it also made me think of the, the constant revision that I feel like I do as a coach. And I, what I mean by that, so I have sort of core principles, right? That yes, I want to possess the ball more than the other team. I want to keep it away from the other team as, as you know, best I can. If we lose the ball, I want to, want to win it back as quickly as possible. But it's this constant, like, I'm not etching that in stone, if I'm making sense here. And I'm not sure. ever going like, that is the only way this game can be played. Because I think circumstances, I think, um, you know, to your point about UFC and sort of martial arts, that maybe the answer is both, right? That um, there isn't, you know, one or the other. And, you know, and I, and I honest to God, believe this, that um, I think that's why sport in general has always fascinated me because even when you master it, you still have so much to learn. And even when you get to the top of the mountain, you still have so much to learn. And then, um, you know, I, I saw a picture of, uh, of Pep Guardiola. It was after, I want to say it was recently after they won the, um, the Premier League. And, you know, they're flying back on the plane and he has the trophy there or whatever. And he's preparing for, I guess it was the FA Cup final uh, at the time. And, you know, the man's literally on top of the world, right? I mean, short of a, another Champions League victory for him. And he's preparing for this next match. And it's just, it never ends. And, you know, I just find that really, really fascinating um, as a coach. And I think that's why I always feel challenged because I don't know if it's anything for us as coaches that you can ever master, right? Ever be happy with. And um, so I'm kind of ranting here. And I, I do no, that. No, no, I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I think that if you, the minute you think you have something down, you're dead. You're done. Yeah. Um, and I, I know from doing something athletically that was, it was interesting for me because it was at a very, very high level. Um, and yet I was very aware that it was a sport because I was in a job where when I used those tools, it was no longer a sport. And even when I would train some people, you know, late twenties, early thirties, um, they say, Oh my God, I'm, you know, you're not a trained assassin because there's rules here. This is still a sport. Oh, well it's not really because, you know, it's just he and I were, yeah, but is he allowed to bring in four of his buddies? No. So there's rule number one. Is he allowed to bring in a machete? No. There's rule number two. So there are definitely rules. So at times at work, I was doing those things in circumstances where there were no rules, where 
Certainly the inmate could bring four of his buddies. He mm -hmm. could bring a machete. Both of those things have literally happened to me. Um, so you start to separate that from real life. And you start to realize that this is a sport, regardless of if it's boxing, if it's soccer. Um, you have to have that love for it and want to get something out of it. It has to kind of affect, uh, affect the spirit of people. And I think once you have that, you never sit back and say, hey, I'm good, because you just want to get better. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, just recently, I said to my wife, I was reading a book that I bought maybe three years ago and thought, oh, this is a waste of like 12 bucks on my Kindle. And, and now I'm reading it, and it's the best book I've ever read, because my ideas, they, they maybe haven't changed, my principles haven't changed, but maybe I've, I've been exposed to different things in the game where I'm, I'm at a different level of understanding in in what I'm looking at now. And I'm starting to pull that into what can I use? What can I not use? I'm, I'm a big fan of if it's not that useful to me, I, I don't waste time on it. If it's, if it's useful to me, I put all my eggs in that basket. And, and I try to train my girls that way. So I take, I, I take a very different approach. You know, you, you'll never see cones at my training sessions. And not that I don't think we need that for some maybe isolated skill development. Um, but I'm, I'm not a big cone drill. I'm not a big you go from this and then you're going to go here and you're going to create space and come back in and, and have this predefined way that we're going to train because the game's not like that. The game has much more, much fewer rules than our training sessions. So I try to devise it to where I can get what I want out of it, but it's as close to the game as possible without it being, Hey, there's a heart, go operate on it and get better. Cause you're a heart surgeon in five months. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, but we, we need to pull those pieces out of it, I think, to get our players better. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's tough. Club coaches, college coaches, high school coaches. I've been all three now at this point in my life, and we never have enough time. You know, if I could have my kids just, like, live in a building a block from me and not go to school, and we train eight hours a day, and they lift, and they swim, and they do all the extra stuff, and they eat right, then I would be happy. But we don't get that. You know, we get them for an hour here, hour there. And, and we have to kind of triage that time to give them what's best. You know now that, now uh, I went on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that the, uh, you know, the next time that a, a family member has like a, a heart procedure, I, I'm going to think of your analogy, right? <laughs> and then I'm going to make sure that the, uh, the doctor and the surgeon that they've, uh, you know, it's not their first rodeo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't learn by doing <laughs> Well, my, uh, this is a, a quick aside, but my dad always said that, uh, you know, anytime that we flew, he goes, you want the, uh, the guy or gal that has a little bit of gray hair. And, uh, you know, I was a kid at the time and I said, dad, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he goes, they have a little bit of experience. And he goes, yeah. some people would say that's not always the best thing. He goes, ah, I'm going to side on that side. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, we flew not too long ago and I, I kind of thought it, I always think of that before I fly or whatever. And, uh, you know, so anyway, um, tell me what it's been like uh, starting and or getting a program off the ground um, with a, a new set of, uh, of student athletes. And how do you create, uh, you know, that buy in and how do you create that sort of, you know, uh, belonging where they feel like they're a part of something? I, I, I seem to have done that a lot. I did that uh, Penn State Lehigh Valley. I started that program. Um, 
and you know had to resign because it was the same retirement system as the State Department of Corrections. Um, but you know, got completely blessed that the Northampton job opened up, and I got it, and I'm super happy there. I think uh, that's going to go really well. Um, Northampton, I feel like it's it's a complete shift, and I'm trying to make a completely different program. But I'm very clear with the girls. There's no rebuilding here. Like we have all the pieces. We need to work hard and come out of the gate like we're shot out of a cannon. And I really feel these girls have bought into that. Um, I also coached two club teams and one of them kind of fell into my lap midway through the season. Their coach wasn't there anymore and the parents weren't totally happy. And I just said, Hey, like we can all go home. I'm fixing my bathroom. I got, I got tons of stuff to do and you can figure it out with the club or I'll run a training session. If you like me, I'm going to do my best to give the girls the best back half of the season that I can. And, and that's the best guarantee I can give you. I ran the training session all the dads got together who were pretty much yelling at me at the beginning almost. Um, and they were like, hey, you know what you're doing? This is great. We're going to give it a shot. We, we, ha- we finished nine games, had two losses, um, and all those girls are coming back for next year. So I think sometimes it's the person, and they kind of gravitate towards that. I think there's probably people that maybe are much better tacticians or know the game really well, but for whatever reason, they don't connect with people. And I think that's a giant piece that they, they just can't get. And if, if you don't have that, you don't have it. Um, for me, I know I retired in December, like I said. So literally my job right now is I coach high school. I coach two club teams. And at the high school where I'm at, Northampton, I have an emergency certification to be a substitute teacher, which is like the most cool. It's the coolest thing ever. I love it because I don't have a teaching degree. And I worked, I literally got it a month ago and now I have a summer off. So it's like one month on, three off. I'm totally into that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my wife's like, really? Summer's off? I'm like, hey, I got to recharge for the kids for next year. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I think, yeah, we'll, we'll see how well that goes. Um, some, people think me, uh, some people would say that you're uh, managing the inmates uh, at the school too. <laughs> you know what? It, it's funny because people say that to me and they're like, are you like kindergarten cop? And I'm like, actually, I'm totally opposite. Um, <laughs> like I've been in a room with 800 murderers and killers and that's scary. These are high school kids. So the worst one is a sweetheart. So I'm just like, dude, like be cool. Like, don't get me in trouble. I'm a sub. I was, a sub. <laughs> I, 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 I remember very well what it was like to be 18 years old, even though it was a very long time ago. And yes, it's going to be a day off. You're going to screw around. But if you get me in trouble, I'm going to come down hard on you. Let's just be cool. And the kids are fantastic. Um, really, really good kids. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And I've done kindergarten. I take anything. High school, kindergarten, middle school, doesn't matter. Um, kindergarten's a lot of tying shoes, but that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, but I think, I think for me, because of what I did for a living, which at times was hell. Like at times it was really scary. Um, you know, I've had, you know, crazy stuff happen. Um, and I, I, that was a job where there's a realistic chance. Some of us didn't get to come home. Sometimes you got killed. Um, didn't happen a whole lot, but it actually happened. So for me, that, that kind of put my, my job was to be able to punch out and go home and see my kids. And in order to do my job well, when things went from boredom, which was 99% to 1% sheer terror, there are times where you have to kind of be vicious and just, it's, it's not fun, but you get kind of good at it. 
And this is almost like my penance for me. Like, I feel like I get to go in and coach. I get to actually do the right thing for good people. And it kind of reaffirms that human beings are good. You know, where I would have a hundred guys I would work with, men and women who are good, and 3,000 that were not so good. Um, mm -hmm. When you do that for 25 years, day in and day out, it kind of wears on you. Where this is my ability to go in and the kid could be the greatest kid in the world or she can be the worst soccer player in the world, but they're both great kids and I'm going to do everything I can to make them a better person and to give them everything I have. I think once you come in like and that's actually genuine, if, if they feel A, they can trust you, and B, that you have their best interests at heart, they just instantly buy in right away. You know, with, with my Northampton team, I, I told them flat out what I wanted, how we were going to do it, um, and, and what I think they're capable of. And I really thought there would be maybe a month or two of me trying to pull that out of them. And they just kind of got wide-eyed and looked at me and said, let's go. Like, we're ready. Like, let's do it. Um, that's, that's a great place to be. At. But I think you need that. And I don't know what that intangible is. For, for me, it's this section of my life I want to do good for people, if that makes sense. And as, as altruistic and as nice as that sounds, I'm still coming from a point where I used to fight. I used to be in a job where fighting might save your life. And there's still that animalistic competitor in me that I just want to slaughter the other team. Now, that doesn't always work. I get to also do that as well. You know, I'm, I'm not going across a mat and getting punched in the face, which really hurts. Um, <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting to put my ideas against someone else's ideas, and then nobody gets punched in the face, and I get to come back and tinker with it again and do that all over again. And so for me, it's kind of morphed into my need for competition gets, gets taken care of and my need to actually do something completely different than what I've done for a career gets taken care of. I actually get to be good to people, which is really people that deserve it, which is nice. Sure. The, uh, <clears throat> side by side comparison there, I mean, is, uh, you know, I remember, um, a few weeks ago, and this is a episode that's going to be coming up. Um, it'll probably, uh, come out a little before this one, but, uh, H Haley Carter always talks about, uh, you know, being in a war zone and she goes, it's a matter of perspective, right? That if you're trying to literally, literally your job each day is to walk out of there alive. It makes it a little bit different when you go to a training session and parents are getting hacked off about something, or you go to a match and somebody's, <laughs> you know, screaming at a referee and, you know, to your point, Mike, about, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have uh, an older brother that was in law enforcement and, you know, he's been fortunate to retire as well. And that it's everything you described of, you know, that waking up on what feels like a very normal day and, you know, 99% of the time is going to go as planned. And then there's the 1% where it all goes crazy. And, uh, yep. you know, you're trained and you're prepared and you hope it never happens, but you know, uh, unfortunately it does happen. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just, I can't imagine the interpersonal skills that you developed, right? Because like you said, you're in a room, um, you know, or in a prison with people that have done some really heinous and, and awful things yet, 
you know, you're sort of straddling this line of, I have to keep them in line, but they're also human beings. And, you know, you have to interact with them, right? It's like, you can't, you can't go through yeah. the day without interacting with them. And, um, you know, that, that, I mean, that is fascinating to me, man. Um, and again, it goes back to just, I think being a matter of perspective, because, uh, you know, when you work with kids or young people, I mean, you know, for me, the joy that they can bring, um, I mean, it's refreshing. And even on the worst days of going to myself, like, this is still pretty good. You know, it, it can always be worse. So, um, yeah, I think that's, 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 I think what we don't put into perspective, um, you know, and, you know, my job was weird more than it was worse than anybody else. Cause I think, you know, my dad was an electrician and I can remember him just killing himself, how to get a job done, working as hard as he possibly could, drilling holes, running wire, um, you know, and that's not easy either, uh, where with what we did, there was a lot of downtime. And then, you know, that 1% of, of you know, just total craziness. Um, but it doesn't, I don't, I don't think it makes you a better person. You know, we get into a fight and you know, you'd see your buddy get hit and you, you, know, you, you're willing to die for him. You want everything to be right. And literally once everything's cleaned up three seconds later, you're joking like, wow, you went down really easy, you sissy. You know, like you're, <laughs> it's funny how guys are in that moment. Um, but all of that kind of doesn't make you a better person. And I, I, I think if you, if you worked with funny people for 25 years, you'd get funnier. If you worked with smart people, you'd get smarter. Um, I don't know that working with criminals for 25 years makes you a saint. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to do things that aren't, great but again my job in life is to come home punch out and be able to see my kids and my wife um and all of us would go through anything that stands in that way so when you put that in perspective and then you're like what well, i have to teach these kids the best way to play soccer and do it with character and make them understand that they're growing into young men and young women and they want to be good people oh that's easy i can do that because i've seen the opposite mm -hmm. so sure you know, we talk a lot about on this podcast about culture and about, um, you know, uh, the, the wide, uh, sort of panoramic way of going about that. And, you know, some coaches are incredibly intentional about developing culture. And, uh, in the, the most recent episode, um, that actually came out on Monday, um, it actually caught me for a loop when, uh, when Dan blank, um, at Widener, I love Dan. Dan's awesome. Yeah, uh, it really is. Um, and uh, just a fan of his work on, on so many levels. Um, and, you know, he said, I, I really didn't spend much time on the culture piece my first year. He goes, I, I didn't even know my team. Uh, and I'm curious for you, you know, kind of what does that look like? Um, do you, you know, is it led by you as the coach? Is it led, do you you know, pull a group together of, of seniors or, you know, when you're with the college team, did you pull a group together and say like, Hey, you guys are my go-to, you know, student leaders. Um, here's kind of what I expect out of you or, or do you just kind of let it happen? Um, and I don't know, you know, I'll preface all this by saying, I actually don't know if there's a right answer here in terms of how each coach approaches it. I think it's all situational, uh, quite honestly. Um, but I'm curious what, uh, how you've approached it. For me, I, I'm incredibly calculated at every single thing that I do, and creating culture is very important to me, and I think that each situation is different with 
with this group at Northampton, you know, we're playing summer league right now. We've got over 50 kids between two teams or almost 50 kids. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of kids and all of them are great kids. All of them are probably going to try out, but not all of them are going to make the team. That's too big of a number. So you kind of want to look for that character and you want to look for creating those types of environments where you can see just what you want in that short amount of time. Um, I've been very clear with them. There's no JV and there's no varsity right now. I don't even know who you are. Um, certainly no captains. Nobody's made the team. And, and there are some clear-cut differences in talent. And maybe people can make some assumptions. But that becomes very dangerous because I haven't told anybody anything. So I think you need to create a situation where I'm at now where there's so much talent and so many kids that they realize I want a team that's going to win. I don't want 11 individuals that are all going to look great and are worried about their club team or they're worried about the college soccer coaches. I think your club team gets better and your college soccer coaches like you more when they see you actually playing the right way on a team. High school mirrors college soccer much more than club soccer does. So in, in college, you, you know, if you and I are on a team and we don't see eye to eye, I've, I've got to maybe room with you or you're my sweet mate. Um, we're going to see each other at lunch. Like We have to figure it out because we're going to be on the team and we're going to play with each other. Where if you and I are on a club, you can be like, yeah, Mike's a jerk. I can be like, yeah, Jason's a jerk because we're going to see each other for an hour twice a week. We're going to play a game. We can get through it. We're still jerks and we're, we're moving on. That's not college soccer. College soccer is much closer to high school soccer where we're going to be each other in study hall and we're going to both like the same girl and we're going to maybe have to eat lunch together and then we're going to have to play and ride on the bus together and practice five days a week, maybe six days a week, all the time. So if we're going to have the chemistry that we need, you and I are going to have to figure it out. Much like if your boss doesn't like you, you're going to have to figure it out. Quitting the job isn't really an option. Um, I think that creating that culture and making them understand, I need everybody rowing in the right way. And, and there are some very obvious ways that I try to do that. And then there are some where I kind of let those open-ended questions out there. Like, hey, I need somebody to do this. And just kind of see who steps up and kind of foster that as much as I can. All right, guys, sit tight. More with Michael Mismer after this word from Duke Tig Brand. Want to save 10% on your next DukeTigBrand.com order? Use the promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com. If you've listened to the show before, you know how much I love DukeTigBrand. I use their Excel notebook. I use their waterproof notebook and absolutely swear by their products. Go to DukeTigBrand.com right now. D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com. Dot com and save 10% at checkout on your next order. From apparel to logos to coaching notebooks, DukeTig Brand has got you hooked up. DukeTigBrand.com, promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. You think uh, high school soccer gets a bad rap here in the U.S.? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it does. And I think there's, there's probably, although I've seen a club too, but there's probably a lot of people that phone it in 
you know, maybe they're a, a teacher and they want the extra couple thousand bucks, whatever it is, and they're going to coach and they really don't care. Um, I mean, me, it's the off season and I'm reading, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm figuring things out. Uh, every single chance I can get to get on the turf or get in the weight room with the girls, I'm doing it. Like for me, it's, especially now that I'm retired, it's become a full-time job. <laughs> I go to sleep thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. Um, today we were at uh, the Steel Stacks with a bunch of the girls watching. Uh, that's a place around here, a viewing place where by Bethlehem Steel used to be, uh, watching the U.S. team, the women's national team, um, and then went right to a training session. You know, so it's for, for me, it's all the time. And I think those kind of high school coaches do a great job um, understanding that maybe there's going to be girls who are going to make the team who are great teammates and great friends. And you need that on a team um, as opposed to, you know, 36 of the most amazing soccer players. Well, that's great, but you, you don't need 36. Um, so I want whatever's going to make that unit as cohesive as possible. And a lot of that probably comes from the Department of Corrections. You know, if we were on a mission and we had to go transport a bunch of guys, if you and I were cool with each other, we're going to have a, a, a talk in a back room, say, hey, we got to get this guy and this guy to come with us. We don't want him. We don't want him because, you know, we've seen them kind of wilt when, when stuff went wrong. But we want the guys that we know have the experience and are going to do the job under pressure. I think men's or women's soccer, boys or girls in high school, it's the same exact thing. You want to find those girls that in that opposed situation where there's another team trying its best to just annihilate you, you want them to be able to rise to that occasion. And you have to find who those people are based on the culture that you've created. I, I don't, I mean, for Dan, maybe he was able to, um, Dan's got a magic about him, man. When you read everything uh, your coach never told you, he, he did some work on that. And Dan and I've had some phone conversations. He's a, uh, He's one of my favorite people to talk to, but, um, you know, he, he obviously must have that, that way of making that happen maybe without thinking about it. Um, cause he always seems to create this great culture. He gets it. Mm -hmm. Why well, uh, having been on the club side and, uh, you know, uh, kind of flirting with the, uh, the high school side, I completely agree with your point, Mike, that, um, I do think high school soccer gets a bad rap and, you know, I had talked with someone before and, uh, he, he, this former guest made a really, really great point that, you know, there's so much pride in playing for your school, right? To put that, you know, kid on, to wear that badge, it means a lot to players, uh, boys and girls, male and female. Whereas not that playing for a club, that there's less pride, but it's exactly how you described it before. And I think you, you absolutely nailed it of, you know, if you and I had that issue, I mean, we could still have an issue. <laughs> we leave, we go home. The issue is not resolved. Whereas, yeah. you know, having to function in that environment and interact with one another and, you know, kind of work through if there was an issue or whatever. I mean, that's where you find out if you can count on that person, right? If that person, sure. uh, you know, uh, I mean, because it can get real easy to uh, to point the finger and go, hey, you know, like, why'd you let up that goal or whatever? Well. Yeah. What led up to that goal being let in, you know, um, let's not point the finger at the goalkeeper because chances are he or she didn't have a chance anyway. Uh, but let's talk about the the defensive breakdown that, that happened. And, um, you know, I, I think you're hitting on, you know, a, a lot of really good stuff there. 
who in our game do you admire or do you go, man, he or she, you know, just really gets it right. Um, you know, have a whole lot of respect for what they're doing. And it could be, you know, folks locally to you in Eastern PA, it could be, uh, you know, the, the Pep Guardiola's of the world, but who inspires you, uh, as a coach? I think, um, for me, there's so many people. I mean, there's local people. I have, uh, I have three assistants now at high school, and uh, one of them is, is Nick, my assistant at club, who came over, and it's interesting because his daughter plays for a team that competes against us in our conference. So that's going to be unique twice a, twice a year for him around the, the dinner table. Um, and I actually have two assistants, both Madisons, Madison Walker and Madison Minnell. One was my goalkeeper my first year at Penargel, and the other one was at Whitehall with us uh, on the year we went to the state final both graduated college this year and um, now both are trying to get into coaching and decided they're going to come out and uh, assist me. So I think those kind of things are really inspiring when you have people that are like, no, let's do this. That, that'll be great. Um, you know, when you talk about like the big names, uh, the guy out near you, Randy, Randy Waldrum from Pitt. Um, yeah. I had listened to a couple of things from him. Uh, a, a kid that guested for one of my club teams is, is going out there as a goalkeeper this year. Great kid. And he and I got in the hole of each other on Twitter. And when I was leaving Penn State, I really wasn't sure if I should go after college again. I, 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 don't, I, I like high school soccer because of exactly what you said. You're going to bleed for that jersey. Um, so I, I messaged him and said, hey, can I take a little bit of your time? Do you mind just maybe going back and forth? And he said, just give me a call. We talked for an hour and 10 minutes. Like, what a great guy. Like, you know, here's, there's a guy when you talk about probably the greatest college soccer coaches ever men's or women's he's top three or four. I'd probably put it number two um, talking to me and nobody for like, you know, well over an hour, you know, Hey, you should do this. You should just make sure you think about this. You know, if your passion is this way, go this way, but you know, really great. I think those, those kind of things instantly you, you as a person are like, that guy's great. He could have just simply not responded to me ever at all. Um, really, really good stuff. And I think at this stage of my life, it's, it's those good people that can also do good work that I respect. If you're a good person, I'm going to respect that. But there are a lot of great people that are crappy at what we do. Um, and if you're a jerk, but you're good at what we do, to me, you're still an asshole. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of the way it is. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to be, I want to be a good person and be really good at what I do. I think I, I'm at the stage of my life now at 51 where I've, I've the ability to say that everything else isn't good enough. That's what I want. So that's those, those are the people I respect. Always admired, um, in the NFL, uh, you know, a guy like Tony Dungy, right. Who, uh, just, I mean, he always exuded sort of this, um, you know, trying to be one of the good guys and just trying to pay it forward. And, you know, obviously he's not coaching now, but I remember reading his book or one of his books. Um, I mean, this goes back uh, a number of years and just really liking him as a coach and, um, you know, had a brief and, and albeit unsuccessful American football career for me. But um, I, I love what you said there about Randy Waldrum. And, and I would add his son, Ben, uh, to that conversation too. And that when I met with them, uh, that's right. A, you met both of them. I, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Um, Mike, that, um, there is 
I love coaches that have had unbelievable success that have absolutely no pretense about them. And, you know, they let their record, they let trophies, all those things, you know, they're important, but they don't remind you how important those things are. And they're more interested in people. And I would damn near bet, you know, uh, a paycheck that the reason they've been successful is that they get people. They truly understand people. And um, same thing, you know, I, I've traded a number of messages with Randy and, and same with Ben in that um, I, it, for them to take time and to talk to me uh, was incredible. And I know exactly, I can, can completely relate how you felt after that phone conversation because that's how I felt walking out of, you know, Fitzgerald Fieldhouse that day. I was sort of on a high uh, where I was like, holy cow, like I just talked to this guy and his son and they were super nice, you know, and uh, I feel like yeah. I, I learned a lot and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's about being, um, you know, it's not only being a good coach, but it's about being a decent human being too. And um I don't know. And for the the 90 plus percentage uh, or percent of coaches that I've encountered that are willing to do that, that's how we, you know, that's how we get better. That's how the game evolves. That's how we, um, you know, just sort of keep pushing and grinding and figuring it out and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and, and too, I, I want to do that for, for other coaches and for younger coaches, right. That, you know, there's sort of that like pay it forward mentality. And I, I love that you have that, um, you know, as well. So I, I think that's fantastic. I, yeah, um, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's kind of what's, uh, that's kind of what's neat about the, the two younger Madisons. I haven't figured out what to call them yet. Probably coach Walker and coach Manel cause the Maddie's just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think it's, I think it's really cool cause both of them are fiercely competitive. They love the game, just graduated. They both played in college, both played in high school. And, you know, I think to myself like 20 years from now, are they heading up some division one program? And I think, I, I had a part in that, you know what I mean? Like I was the one that said, Hey, come here, like, just assist me, see what we do. Um, I think, I think that's, that's kind of cool. I think you, you start to look at, you know, you, you, you know, I, I'm definitely on the downward side. Cause you know, how many hundred year old people do you know? Not a whole lot. So I'm thinking that most of my, you know, half of my life anyway is over. Um, it, it would be cool to be remembered. Not as, you know what? Yeah, he was a soccer coach, but he was kind of a jerk. I, I want to be remembered as he was a good guy and he knew what he was doing. Um, you know, and and if the wins and losses kind of fade when you look at it like that. Um, you know, they're super important in the moment, and and we all kind of live and die by them. But you know, in the end, I got two kids that used to play for me now that are, that are now coaching for me, which is which is really really cool. I'm I'm excited about that. Um, it was interesting to talk, think about your Tony Dungy uh, comment. I was just listening to somebody talk about Bobby Knight and the way he kind of approached what he did. And I think the one year they were undefeated, won a national championship in uh, basketball. And you know, it was very the opposite kind of of Tony Dungy, the way he did things. Mm -hmm. um, and you think, well, are we getting too touchy-feely? Are we like, oh, everybody gets a cookie and um, we just should be really nice and build culture where he sort of took a different approach to that. Um, but I think you have to kind of look at, we pick out these Pep Guardiola's or we pick out the Tony Dungy's or the Bobby Knight's and, and the way that they do it works for them. You know, there mm -hmm. were a thousand other basketball coaches that threw chairs and screamed 
and didn't win a national championship and go undefeated. Um, you know, you look at Tony Dungy, who was just a great human being and a great coach. Um, there are probably a lot of people that would emulate that, but that's not who they are. So I think staying as genuine to yourself as possible. And then if, if you're lucky enough to have whatever spark it is that people want to listen to you and trust you, um, that's kind of when the magic happens. But those things have to come together. You can't manufacture that. Like that's, that's who you are. I, you know, I listen to your stuff, listen to your podcast, see what, you know, you, you genuinely care about people and the, the, I don't want to use the word product because it sounds like you're selling something, but the, the thing that you're trying to create. And I think that's the way I am. I've found a love for this game. I have different ideas. They're based on what I have. For me, they're right. For you, they may be wrong. For someone else, they may be just totally moronic. But for me, that's the way I do it. Um, you know, and, I, and, and we tweak that as we go. If we're successful, we keep doing it. If not, we, we kind of retool it and see where else we can go. I yeah. think the, uh, the moment for any coach that they try to be something that they're not in, uh, you know, the, the Bobby Knight example was a, a great one because, you know, imagine him trying to be uh, <laughs> warm and, and fuzzy and, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and maybe that's not the, the right way to say it because, uh, you know, is player centered and people centered as I can be, I'm incredibly competitive. And, you know, I've, it's taken years of practice in years of sort of those repetitions of how to use and channel that emotion, you know, in a positive way, not uh, lashing out at my players or my parents or a referee or something like that. And I'm very, you know, the only thing that I really do during a match is I, I pace a lot just because I feel like I have ants in my pants and, you know, I'm, I, I was not like Joe Ellis today <laughs> during the women's match and just sort of, well, she know, was, she was pretty well set. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, how do you define success? Um, I know, you know, people can look at our win loss record and, um, you know, uh, that's a very easy metric, um, in, in any sporting environment, you know, not just football or soccer, but how do you define success, uh, for what you're trying to do? For me, I'm always, and again, this, this isn't, the life that I had for the last 25 years with the Department of Corrections, it's sport. So I'm always very aware at the forefront of my mind is that competition is there to separate the winner from the loser. And I think the minute we lose sight of that and everybody gets a cookie and it's all okay, everything goes on a downward spiral. So on one hand, that sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. In that moment, if, if you and I were to be in a fight. We have rules. We're going to fight. We understand the rules of it. I'm going to want to beat you. You're going to want to beat me. When it's over, it's done. Those, that's the parameters of what we do. And we can be great friends on the outside. We cannot know each other. We cannot love each other. None of that really matters. But in that moment, you know what you're supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. We've agreed upon it. And then we go do it. And, and that's a soccer match for me. It's, it's physical. It's a contact sport. Um, our job is to beat you and do whatever we can within the guidelines of the rules to win. And your job is to do the exact same thing. I think when, when you forget that premise 
and you go up against a team that still remembers it, that's when really bad things happen. Um, beyond that, then, I want to do it the right way, and I want my players to understand what that right way is, that you can want to take someone's head off during the game, and then afterwards we shake hands and it's done. So you step over that line, and you're an assassin. You step off that line and back off that line again, and you know you could be really nice to your mom. You could help the neighbor take the trash out. You could be a great kid, but we're there for a purpose. And I think that when you have two teams of athletes that understand that premise and then go at it, both of them leave there better. Um, so I, for me, that's successful. If I can, I want it all. I want them to be fiercely competitive, understand that we're here to find out who the winner and loser is, and I want them to do it the right way with the right character fairly. And, and I think those are the lessons that you get out of sport that transcend going into adulthood. Those are my uh, favorite types of players that I was telling someone this today, actually, that um, how I was as a player in the different sports that I played was always the, the type of guy who had to punch above his weight class. And, um, you know, had, had some size, uh, I'm six, you know, six, two, but, um, never was enormous, right. Never was like the most muscular guy or anything like that, whether it was basketball or American football or anything like that. But the one thing that I could always control was how I was able to compete. And, um, I remember playing basketball and just being like a wild man on the court. And I told somebody today, I, it's a, it's a kind of a, a bad comparison, but I said I was sort of like a, a Dennis Rodman-like character on the basketball court. Not in terms he of He was one antics. of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, uh, not in terms of like his antics or like, you know, the flagrant fouls or, you know, getting kicked out of games or whatever, you know, for technicals or whatever. But the, the hustle, the rebounds, the dirty work, the diving after a loose ball, the, the glue stuff that you need that type of guy or gal on the roster. And, you know, uh, not everybody's going to be the leading scorer uh, for a soccer team. Not everybody's going to be, you know, doing Cristiano or Messi stuff in terms of making it look really pretty. But you need that person as a center back. You need that goalkeeper that just is a communicator and just you know, barking out orders back there. You need that midfielder, that defensive mid midfielder that can shut somebody down and, you know, start a counterattack or, or something like that. And um, I love those types of players. And I love what you said about the, the light switch or, you know, they walk on the pitch and they just, they're able to turn it on and they're able just to understand that like, the shark men. It's go time. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And you probably experienced that, you know, in the, the line of work that you were in for so long that, um, you know, I was at a coaching course last weekend and, um, the, the instructor, he made a really great point. He, he, he was coaching, he coaches high school players and he was saying, you know, I always tell them that they should never wear their training gear, you know, just to a session that they need to get in the dressing room, the locker room first, they need to put it on because that is a symbol to them. When they put it on, that is time to go to work. And when they cross over onto the pitch, we're here to work. We're not here to screw around. Um, and I was like, God, that's so simple, but it's so smart. And that, um, you know, it's sort of this mental 
you know, uh, kind of mind change of like, I'm in a different environment, different expectations. I just need to bring it. And, um, you know, I, I, I love that mindset and I think it, it's so important yet when they walk off there, it's exactly what you said, Mike, of, you know, being the sweet son or daughter, being a good big brother, big sister, sure. um, you know, talking to the school principal, um, you know, being the kid that's a, an Eagle scout or, uh, a girl scout or, you know, involved in the community or their church or whatever it might be. And, um, truly both can happen. And I think it is a, an absolute art form when someone is able to do that. And especially a young person is able to do that because uh, that to me shows a lot of emotional intelligence, um, you know, in that person. And I think it's pretty fascinating. So. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. And again, you, it's how people get better when they truly understand that when we would go to Philadelphia and after we would train at the end, we would fight. And there were a lot of times where, win or lose, you know, you, you literally want to take the guy's head off and then the fight's over. And I can remember once I got caught in a guillotine choke and, you know, we were going at it. Um, and then afterwards he was, he was almost taken back. We're in the locker room and I'm like, can you show me how you did it? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I, I thought I had that guarded really well. And you did something with, with the way you turned your body and you're still able to catch me. I don't get caught in those. And he's thought about it and he's like, well, yeah, I did this. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and then we had this great conversation. So there we are trying to you know, punch each other's face in. Uh, and then we're in the locker room. And I'm like, all right, we're never going to fight again, probably. We're not going to see each other. You seem like a cool guy. Show me how you did that. Because it bothers me that you were able to get it. I'd really like to know. So mm -hmm. it doesn't happen again. Um, and I think if we kind of approach sport like that, we're, we're going to go at it. We're going to go at it hard. And then we're going to know. You know, it, it, you know look. As much as we're excited about today's U.S. women's national team effort, it didn't tell us anything, right? Like, we all kind of expected that, although I thought it would actually be a little closer. Um, but it's, it's not France. It's not, you know, not some of those bigger names. Those teams are going to test us in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, the, the people that are much smarter than you and me that are pouring over the video right now, might be seeing a lot of things that were done incredibly wrong because they were able to do it wrong. Um, where that's, that gets exposed against competition that's much closer to a level playing field. So that's, that's kind of, I think, why you need to go practice like you play and then play the best possible team that you can. Because mm -hmm. that way you start to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I started to write a tweet and I ended up deleting it, but uh, it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, wake me up when the group stage is over uh, for the U S women's national team. And um, you know, I, I agree with what you said there because uh, yeah, when you're, when you're going against a quality opponent like a France or like an England or a Germany or Canada, um, you know, they're, they're going to be tested and it, it's not going to be a walk to the world cup is uh you know, as everyone might think it might be at this point. So um, I think that's probably a good, good segue if we're talking about the national team. So you, you probably know <laughs> what, what question's coming. Uh, and I, I've missed a, a couple guests on this one just because of how the, the rhythm of the podcast was going. So I kind of omitted it, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up anyway. Uh, so, so what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong um, when it comes to, uh, to soccer in this country, Mike? Uh, I, 
I think we're doing a lot right. I think the biggest thing we're doing wrong is never going to be fixed, which is our pay-to-play system. Um, you know, we're, we're such a unique animal, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but most of our – how can I say this so it's politically correct? I'm just going to say it. Most of our poor people do not play soccer. So what I mean by that is if you don't have a whole lot and your family doesn't have a whole lot, you're probably boxing American football, basketball. In other countries, everyone's poor people, everyone who's poor plays soccer. And you, know, you look at like the Mexican fighters or the Philadelphia fighters, boxers, they had this reputation for just, they were going to go till the wheels came off. They were tough because it's all they had. When you have that kind of mentality, you produce amazing boxers, soccer players, skiers, whatever that is. Um, I don't think our country set up sports-wise for that because we have too many things. So our best players usually have mom and dad that paid five grand a year for them to play club. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what are we missing? You know, like look at some of those football players or basketball players, if, if they never knew what football or basketball was, you'd have some of the most amazing center backs, amazing forwards. If, if every one of our 300 plus million kids said, this is the only thing that we do, the, the pool of players just got huge. Um, I was in Germany. My brother lived in Germany and I was fortunate enough for about a month to work with Mulehausen's their, their younger team. And I remember one of the uh, much younger team kids, and I remember one of the coaches saying, look around, Michael, do you see a basketball hoop in any of our driveways? I said, no. He goes, all we care about is football. We don't care about any of your other stupid American sports. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, to them, like, the German way is the best, which I love that. We don't, we don't have that either, where the German way is the best, the Brazilian way is the best, the English way is the best. We don't have a way. So it, it, that, I think, hurts us. But I don't think we're still a capitalist society. The pay-for-play model is never going to go away. So I think we need to find some way to tweak that and still get the best out of our players. Um, there's, I think this is the World Cup. They, they actually, um, there was an article in the morning call, uh, the little paper here, where they asked a couple of us soccer coaches what we thought. And one thing I said was, I think this is the World Cup on the women's side where we see that parity has been reached, that the top six or eight teams with, you know, under the bright lights for the, on the biggest stage are capable of beating each other at any given day. And I don't think it's been like that for the women for a long time, but we had a huge head start. On the men's side where we haven't had a huge head start, I mean, you know, we, we can't produce more than one or two famous players or great players on a, on a world stage. And, most of them are goalkeepers, you know, mm-hmm. where a little country like Spain's producing, you know, five or six top level midfielders every couple of years. Uh, we, there's no reason we don't do that, but we don't. I, I think we, we focus way too much on unopposed training, uh, being on the club side. I just, like I said, I took over two club teams and I think there's a, there's a, a big culture where we have to devise a training session that makes you and me look like we're really earning our money. 
and it's going to be cool. And the players are going to be doing stuff. And the parents are going to be like, oh, my God, this guy knows what he's doing. This girl really knows what she's doing. I can devise one of those, and my players are getting nothing out of it. I can have more of a chaotic session where my players are gaining so much. And parents on the sidelines would be like, that guy doesn't even know what the hell he's doing. Like, what is he doing? Um, that's, that's a problem as well where we want those parents to pay, the club wants them to pay. Um, club soccer's become a big business. Anytime you monetize something that you really love, that gets a little sketchy. Um, and, and that's what we've done here in this country. So it, it doesn't set up a situation where we create these amazing players. And there's no excuse for it. I mean, if we got our act together, we'd be a world power in soccer. <laughs> I mean, there's no, no question in my mind. Um, we just can't seem to get our act together. Yeah. I, well, I think the, uh, from what I've experienced in the, in the club game, there is this fascination with a certain part of the population of it only mad it development does not mean anything. It mean it, all that matters to me is wins and losses. And that is the only metric that a parent in, in my experience will use as a barometer of success. It's a yep. little, I mean, to me, that's short-sighted. And I think that, um, you know, I feel like we live parallel lives here, Mike, because, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the costs, I remember being out your way uh, this time a year ago um, for a coaching education course. And I was talking with some of the coaches, uh, you know, from Eastern PA. I, I think I was the only guy from, from Western PA that was there and um, was talking with them. And, you know, we were talking about club costs, and some of them were like 4,000, 4,500. Yep. You know, I may, may have even heard of 5,000 in there at some point. And my eyes almost like fell out of my head. And the, you know, the amount of money that, um, you know, for the club that I was with at the time, what we were paying, I was going, God, I almost feel like I got a bargain, <laughs> you know, because yeah. of that. And I mean, to your point that it's exactly, I mean, to me, it is all style and no substance, right? You can put on something that I think can trick a lot of people and make them believe that, oh my God, yeah, I'm getting my money's worth for this or whatever. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> it doesn't mean diddly squat when it comes to th that player getting better. And, or you could sort of take the road less traveled and design something, like you said, that you know, the kids are uncomfortable in terms of their development and they're pushed in situations where they go, whoa, this is a little different and they do get better yet. That is not glamorous. That is, you know, that is like wandering through the, the dark of a, of a forest. Right. And for whatever reason, we have so little patience for that because on the other side of that forest is a beautiful field on the other side of that forest is you know, greatness or whatever, but it's like, you got to struggle. You got to go through the crap to get to where you want to go. But I, I just don't feel like we want to do that. Um, especially, I, I think it's, it's tough because it depends on the club too. Right. Um, yeah. I, I work now for, for Western Lehigh and I, I got to tell you, they're, I'll give them a little plug, um, but they're great people. Their hearts are in the right place and they do a fantastic job. Um, and, and the players get better. And a lot of times, a lot of times that doesn't happen. Um, my son played for a different local club and they had, 
they ended up going to an A, B, or C team, and he was on the A team. And a year later, they recruited a whole bunch of other kids when some kids left. And I thought to myself, well, all of those parents for kids on the B and C team are paying with the assumption that you're getting those players better. So you would say it's almost the lock that if the A team has a couple spots, you're going to get those kids from the B team because that's what they're paying you for. Mm-hmm. But no, they went out somewhere else and got those kids. Those kids stayed on the B team and the C kids stayed on the C team. And I'm thinking you're almost proving that you're not doing your job. If, if our job is to get players better, and, and like you said, you know, everybody's going to play possession-based soccer. We're going to build out of the back. And then what do you see? You see the six foot six, 13-year-old up front who can run like a deer, and we're going to smash the ball up to him and win, but we play possession-based soccer. Well, I guess you possessed it from your center back to your forward. <laughs> um, I guess, but you're right. And in this country, we we want to think we have the right answer. Um, and again, it goes back to my early martial arts days. We were, I was a black belt in a stand-up martial art, and I went to Philadelphia with white belts, and they were able to take me down and submit me in seconds. And I'm like, I didn't say, oh, what you're doing doesn't work. I just watched it work. So how do I learn it? So in this country, we say, Let's figure it out. Let's have U.S. soccer do this. And we're going to change things every couple of years and we can't get our president right. Why don't we just look at some of the countries that have done it right for 100 years and model what they do? Because um, mm-hmm. we seem to do the opposite. You know, England has some issues. They switch some things around. Spain is the way it is. The Dutch, they are. The German are the way they are. The Italians are the way they are. The Brazilians are the way they are. All of those are great teams. Why don't we look at what they do in their culture that works and not reinvent the wheel, but try to borrow it instead of thinking that somehow we know better because it's been proven repeatedly that we do not when it comes to football, when it comes to soccer. We get it wrong more than we get it right. Yeah. I've said this uh, before, and I will say it again. It's a, a good place to leave it, that um, the, the cause of and solution to many, if not all of life's problems is money. And uh for whatever reason, on the men's side, um, it has just become, I, I think, a very much a part of the issue. And, um, you know, I, I've never been more, uh, I guess I would say, disinterested and down and out on the men's team than I have felt lately. I mean, I was pretty down and out after Trinidad and Tobago. But after watching things recently, I mean, yo, like... I, I actually yeah. texted a, a coaching buddy and I, and I said to him, uh, it, just play the U20s from here on out. That's it. Play them all. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if, you know. And the reason I said that, the, the joy that they had playing. So even though they lost, um, you know, in the, in the quarterfinal match of, of their World Cup, but the joy and the, the love and the enthusiasm in the, I mean, just the the wanting, the the willingness, the fight, the 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 you know the the pride to put the badge on. You could see it. I mean, and I and I haven't. I'll be fully honest when I say this. I haven't watched much of their you know development or their games. I knew a few names from from other shows and podcasts, and you know some guys that have kind of come along through the development academies or whatever. But 
there was a difference. And then I watched the Jamaica match and I'm like, this is like a, you know, Sunday afternoon men's league and Jamaica's literally, I mean, <laughs> they made us look silly and guys disinterested, making dumb mistakes, kicking the ball out of bounds, can't connect a pass. I mean, basic, you know, dribbling into pressure. Come on, guys. Like, what are we doing? I feel like Taylor Twelman here, but what are we doing? No, so, I, I know anyway, exactly I what you mean. And it's, days. It's, so. it's a shame because those guys want to do the best that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all amazing players. I think that we, we dabble in so many other sports and other countries don't. Other countries, there's so much more to it. Um, you know, you look at Spain, you look at Barcelona and the political ramifications between those two teams. You look at the way economies are set up. Like, it's, it's truly everywhere else in the world. It takes such a different, deeper meaning where in this country, it's, it's just a sport. Um, and, and although it truly is just a sport, as the kids are growing up and they're playing 90 different things and the club team are only taking the biggest, fastest girl and boy and letting those other kids, you know, and the coaches at times, they got to put it on some of us. Maybe we're, you know, they're not seeing, they're seeing the execution piece. Oh, well, I have a, an eight-year-old that can execute a pass better than that other eight-year-old. Well, that's great right now, but was there something else to it? Was the cognitive part, was, was the decision that the kid couldn't execute, was the decision he or she were trying, was that better? Because if it was, the execution piece is the easiest to fix. You know, just the fact that someone's great at executing is great. But if they're missing that cognitive piece, you know, I keep telling my girls, you know, we have to get our head up. We have to check our shoulder. Uh, yes, we want communication, but you should already know where that player is. You have to take mental snapshots. Uh, Romano used to always say the key to this game that we don't get in America is everywhere else in the world. You are trained to know exactly what you're going to do with the ball before you get it. Here, we get the ball. And then we pick our head up and we decide what options we have and soccer's too fast and that's too late. You know, that mental picture has changed and you've got nothing. So the minute you start to think about playing in the future a step or two and where is she at, where, where can I help her? Suppose the ball comes to me right now. The minute you're playing the game with that mentality, it appears as a unit that you've gotten incredibly faster where you really haven't just your execution piece is based off the fact that the cognitive pieces you already know what you're going to do so you don't have to think about it even for a millisecond and all those milliseconds add up and you move the ball a lot faster and while you're moving the ball the defenders are running you know every team i've ever had people said oh you have such a great second half team what do you say to them i don't know that my halftime speeches are all that great Um, win one for the gipper (laughs) yeah win one for the gipper but I do know that we try to move the ball to move the opponents to make, you know, if a defender has to run 10 yards and we can make her run 12, let's make her run 12. Cause that 12 yards is going to happen a hundred times over the half. And while the ball's moving, we're not going crazy like they are. So I think there's a lot to that, to getting a team to be tired out by doing the correct things. You know, I'm, and people will disagree with me, but I think dribbling is completely overrated. Um, it's like the last thing that I need you to do. <laughs> I, I, need you to, I need you to mentally know where to be, mentally know how to create numerical advantages on the field, get the ball into those numerical advantages, 
draw people in to create them somewhere else and then move the ball up the field in that manner so that the last person can get a shot on goal and then do it clinically. Don't just fire it at the goalkeeper. Um, I think if you do those things, all of a sudden dribbling is not that important. It certainly is to get you out of trouble and when you're taking space. Um, but I think in this country we focus so much on dribbling because we see Messi. I, I mean, Messi's a comet. You know what I mean? He's, he's the once in a lifetime. The dude's amazing. Um, but he didn't win a World Cup because an entire team isn't one person. So I think we miss that in this country. You know, we want the LeBron James of soccer that, you know, if it's, if it's you and me playing pickup basketball with LeBron James, we're probably winning every 3v3 tournament we ever go in. But it's not because of me, and I'm guessing not because of you. It's because of LeBron. Soccer's not necessarily like that. You know, you get everybody on the same page that knows what they're doing and they're doing it at breakneck speed. You can beat a team of one or two superheroes. I'm, uh, I'm like the Birdman, Mike. You know, I'm uh, <laughs> minus the tattoos. Uh, you know, I'm good for five pals. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to name, uh, you know, if I ever start a, another podcast, I'm just going to call it Dribbling's Overrated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> People are going to hate me for that. But, and it's, it's not true. I mean, we need foot skills, definitely need foot skills. But uh, I, I, for me, if, if you could pass the ball from point A to point B and then know exactly where you're going to find point C and you can do all of that while the defenders are chasing you, where in that scenario do I need to dribble? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I would, I would say shielding is much more important than dribbling. Hold on to the darn ball first before you're uh, trying to go somewhere with it. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mismer, uh, <laughs> how can folks uh, connect with you and uh, follow along in your coaching journey? Uh, I'm, uh, Twitter and Instagram are probably the two best. My, my youngest daughter, Catherine, says I'm on Instagram way too much. <laughs> I told her the other day I had like 70 likes. For me, that's like an all-time high. She's like, Dad, I get that in like the first second. I was like, yeah, but I don't follow 14,000 people. Um, but at, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're 51, social media is fun. Um, at Coach Mismer, and that's Twitter or Instagram. And uh, on there, you can also probably find the social media links for my uh, concrete kids for my Northampton soccer team as well. I think that's a, uh, a, just a great name, by the way. Uh, I, I love that. And I just think it's, uh, it's gritty. It's tough. It's, uh, concrete kids. I know. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Mike, thank you for, for coming on the latest episode of the on the touchline podcast. And we covered a lot of ground, man. That was, uh, that was good. That was quality. But it, it's funny because you and I have gone back and forth on Twitter for a long time. And I, I truly feel like you're just one of my buddies. Like, I know who you are. So even sitting here, I probably said some stupid things, but it's just like you're sitting in the chair across from me and we're, you know, hanging out at night just talking. Uh, so that, that's pretty cool. Thank you for having me on. And I appreciate all that you, you do with your, uh, with your podcast. A big shout out to Michael Mismer for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Mike, I can't wait to follow along with what you and the Northampton Girls uh, program has in store this fall. And as a guy on the other side of the state of Pennsylvania, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So I wish you a whole lot of success and really grateful that we had the opportunity to get connected to one another. 
And of course, uh, when you're on this side of the state, um, let's meet up sometime for a coffee and, and hang out. Before we close up shop, uh, guys, thank you so much for the support of the show. And reach out anytime on social media uh, at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter and Instagram. I've been feel like I've been a, a tweet storm with the Women's World Cup going on uh, this past month. It's been a lot of fun to watch, and if you're not watching, well, shame on you. Uh, it's been been quite entertaining. Two new episodes coming your way next week, so look out for those. And of course, uh, make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform. Catch you guys real soon. This has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.